Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to that place this morning. Uh, one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, well, I didn't want to mention. I forgot to mention, but I should mention. Uh, I just had the question asked, what about volunteers and, and uh, worship team and stuff on Sunday morning? Do they need to register? No. If you are scheduled to be here as part of the worship team or in the sound booth or a staff person, uh, we have spots reserved for you. But if you have family members that would like to come with, they do have to register. And so uh, please make sure uh, to do that. But again, those that are scheduled to be here, we do have, we have reserved spots for that, so we don't have to fight for tickets for that. Uh, and we, again, preci- appreciate our worship ministry people, our, our sound booth people. Uh, they have done an incredible job. And I, as a church family, uh, please reach out to them and just uh, thank them uh, for the time and energy that they have poured into this and the willingness they have had to come and be a part of our services, even through uh, some of the scarier times in November and December and things when numbers were getting really high. Uh, our worship ministry people were so willing to uh, be here and, and share their time uh, and energy and presence with us in that way. And so thank you. But again, for the registration purpose, we have a small number set aside for staff and volunteers that are needing to be here. Uh, but again, if you have family members or spouses or something or kids that you would like to have joined, they do require tickets uh, to be here. Also should mention as well, uh, if you do not have access to the internet, you are not watching a live stream. But if you know somebody that it does not have access and they would like to be here, uh, they can also call the office and talk to Penny. And if there are tickets available, she can make sure they get registered that way as well. Again, we'd love for you to do that yourself. Penny doesn't need 100 phone calls every week trying to get registered. But if you do not have the, the ability to do that, again, you can register on behalf of someone as well. But you can also call the office and Penny can make sure that you are registered that way as well. And uh, now that we have interrupted the beautiful flow that uh, the worship team has brought us to this incredible place, and we've dove back into announcements, uh, let's turn to scripture this morning, and we're going to open with Matthew chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 21, Matthew chapter 18, and let's read this passage together. And when we're done, I mean, really, there's nothing else to say, but I'm going to say some things anyways, because we're here. So we might as well. But Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21, the parable of the unmerciful servant. says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my Father in heaven will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Amen. Forgiveness. It's one of the most important aspects of following Jesus, experiencing and sharing his grace and mercy. And it's one of the most difficult things for us to do. To say those words, I forgive you. Someone who's hurt us, who's caused us harm, who has broken trust and relationship. It's emotional. And it's even practical. Can we trust this person again? What are the consequences if we allow them back into relationship? It's as as real and raw and risky as it gets. So, what does it mean? Can we forgive? Can you? This morning we're going to be continuing to walk through our series, Kingdom Stories, looking at the parables of Jesus and and, and trying to understand what it was that he was trying to tell us. Jesus wasn't telling us fun little stories with little moral lessons or, or giving us little quips and bite-sized pieces of wisdom, he was trying to describe God to us. In these simple, powerful stories, he was trying to tell us what God is like. What his kingdom is like. What he is like, how he thinks, how he acts, what he cares about. What his love looks like. Jesus was was painting a picture for us. And it's the kind of picture that we need to spend time with. And focus on and study and let speak to us. It's not the kind of picture that we get to decide what it means. Or if it matters. Or what it's doing. It's the kind of picture that changes us. That as we spend time with it, we are transformed. Our hearts are softened. Our minds are molded. Our lives are changed. It's heavy stuff. And if we're not paying attention, we'll miss all of it, and we'll walk away at best with a little simple surface lesson, not truly listening to what Jesus was trying to say, just like 
most of the people in the crowds he was talking to. They were there for a show. They had heard about the miracles. They had seen him cut back at the religious leaders. They were curious. They were intrigued, but were they hungry for the truth? Were they looking to be truly changed? Are we? We've already looked at a number of these parables. The parable of the sower, the parable of the good Samaritan, the parable of the rich fool, the wise and foolish builders, the prodigal son. And every time I've been left overwhelmed at the picture that Jesus is painting here of the depth of God's love for us, of the overwhelming holiness of God, And yet his incredible desire for relationship with us, the opportunity for life that he is offering. And all the ways that I reject that and fail. Building my house on sand. Walking by those in need. Not letting the seeds of the gospel grow in my life. Storing up my treasures on earth. Jesus sees right through me, right through all of us. And I want to hear him. I want to change. I want to learn. I want to grow and I fail. But he is gracious. And he is here with me, with us, with you. And this morning we're going to see what that truly means in exciting ways and in terrifying ways. God is here. This parable again comes right as Jesus is kind of preparing for the end. He's preparing to enter Jerusalem at the end of his life and his ministry. In just a couple of chapters in Matthew here, he's bringing us to the triumphal entry. And while Matthew is filled with parables, we can see here the depth of Jesus' desire for us to understand, for the people to see what was happening who he was and and what he was doing because in these last couple of weeks of his life, Matthew records a ton of parables. The wandering sheep, the unmerciful servant, the workers in the vineyard, the two sons, the tenants, the wedding banquet, the ten virgins, the bags of gold, the sheep and the goats. It's almost like Jesus is trying to tell us something. Again, sometimes... He told them what was going on flat out. Before Abraham was, I am, he said. He told them, he is God. And we imagine sometimes, and we read, again, Jesus alludes to things a lot of times, and we think, well, maybe the disciples didn't really understand the metaphors of what was going to happen. He tells them flat out, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, we are going up to Jerusalem, he says, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged 
and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Whatever could he mean? What a mystery. But I mean, if we were sitting there listening to it too, would we think he was speaking literally? But he told them what was going to happen. But far more than that, just telling them these practical realities, he didn't want them to just see what was going to happen. He wanted them to understand his father. Who God is. These events that were going to happen that would change the world, they weren't the point God was. Who God is, what he's doing. And so he told them parable after parable, trying to describe to them, trying to help them see and hear. Peter comes to him. Jesus was talking about discipline in the body right before this. Caring for and correcting fellow disciples as we try to follow Jesus together. And this raises a question in Peter's mind. And so Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now this might seem like a strange question to us. Who keeps score like this? I mean, maybe we all know somebody who does. But who really keeps score like this and would count how many times they've forgiven someone? But this was a real question that the Jewish rabbis and teachers of the day would debate. How many times are you supposed to forgive someone? And the common answer that they came to over hundreds of years of studying the scriptures and writing all of their extra laws and things like that, they came to the decision that you had to forgive a person three times for the same offense. That was Jewish law. And so Peter is asking for Jesus' opinion on that law. That was the limit. That was what they had decided. And so as strange as Peter's question seems to us, in his mind, he was actually being overwhelmingly gracious, more than double what the rabbis taught, seven times. And the number seven, too, representing wholeness and completeness and divinity and holiness all through the Scriptures. What a wonderful, holy, spiritual, gracious answer to give. Seven times we must forgive. But once again, Jesus completely upends everything we understand. He turns the whole question around on itself, shifting the focus from how much you should forgive to how much you've been forgiven. Showing us again that the heart of God is so different from ours. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven. But regardless, Jesus is trying to tell us there is no number. Forgiveness has no limit. And he tells us a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven 
is like a king who wanted to settle the accounts of his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 10,000 bags of gold. The point isn't a dollar value here. It's meant to be impossible. But the amount Jesus uses here is the equivalent of tens or even hundreds of billions of dollars, depending how you calculate it. It's unpayable. And you wonder how he even accumulated a debt like that in the first place. Did he lose a continent or something? And even with his insistences and promises later that he would repay this in the passage, there was no possible way this debt could ever be paid. And so his family and himself and everything he had was going to be sold into slavery forever. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master had pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. What would that feel like? An impossible debt crushing you and your family for generations. Never able to be paid. There forever weighing on you. Just gone. What would that feel like? The relief. The confusion. Why? How? The ecstatic joy. Overwhelming freedom. How long had this been hanging over him? Crushing him. The fear. The guilt. The frustration. The despair. Every moment. Every day. Everything he did. Tainted by this crushing burden. Just gone. What would that feel like? What did you feel like? But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Whatever it felt like, it clearly didn't last long. And how true is that for us? 
we have an experience of God's grace. We have a moment where that clarity breaks through of what God has done for us. Something that fills us with relief and joy, hope and happiness, and in an instant, we can turn to anger and selfishness. At the slightest provocation, our selfishness taints our hearts so that we can't be free and see with love for others. It's poison. And the only antidote is submission, humility, and God's love. Jesus doesn't minimize the debt owed by these servants here either. We can read these stories and say, this man owed billions and he roughed someone up over 20 bucks, but a hundred silver coins was about a hundred days wages at the time. Potentially tens of thousands of dollars today. So Jesus isn't pretending this was nothing. But it shows just how shallow this man's heart was. That his repentance and gratitude in response to his master's grace had not taken root in his heart. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. This debt could be paid. The large debt was impossible, but this could be paid if the man showed even normal patience, just a little mercy. But how much more than that should he have offered? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which will never happen. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Do we understand? Do we get it? We cannot take God lightly. We cannot take these stories lightly. What Jesus is telling us here matters. It is life-transforming, heart-changing, destiny-shaping stuff. God's grace 
is unfathomably enormous. It is overwhelmingly generous. It is unspeakably, unreasonably complete. But it isn't free. Because it begs a response. Now we cannot earn it. We can't pay for it. We don't deserve it. It is by grace alone that we have been saved. It is God's mercy and will alone that our debt is paid. It is only by the blood of Jesus that our sin is washed clean. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. But while that's the end of the sentence, it's, it's, it's not the end of the story. And that grace must result in a heart and a life and a soul that is changed. While we cannot earn God's gift of freedom and life, how we live and who we are has to look different. We cannot stay the same. How we see people, how we see the world, how we see our lives has to look different. If we truly receive God's gift, we cannot stay as we were. And that sounds big and heavy and even dangerous, but it really isn't. It couldn't be simpler. It couldn't be easier because it's just living the fruit of the Spirit in response to God's love for us. It's not a heavy burden and responsibility, an impossible task. It's just enjoying the joy of abundant life offered by God. That we then offer to others. It's choosing to embrace love and hope instead of fear and selfishness and insecurity. It's offering forgiveness instead of holding on to bitterness and hurt, even when that forgiveness isn't deserved. Because I certainly didn't deserve it. Now, this is the dangerous part because what about abuse? What about someone who is trying to hurt us? What does forgiveness look like when the person does not want it or know that they need it because they don't see or maybe care that they are causing hurt? Jesus is not saying that you must stay in that relationship, that you must continue to endure abuse, that must, you must allow yourself to be continually hurt. Forgiveness is not passive. It's not giving up. It's not allowing yourself to be a punching bag or a doormat. Forgiveness is active. It's positive. But it has to be received. Forgiveness is the Spirit of God Offering to restore relationship, but the first servant showed that he didn't truly receive it. 
He took what he wanted, his debt being paid, but his heart didn't change. And there were consequences for that. Forgiveness is about seeing people like God does. Hurting people hurt people, and God knows that. And we know that, because we've done it. And God wants us to understand that. He wants us to find our source, our foundation, our purpose, our hope, our value in Him. And when we do that, we can forgive. Because our value, my value, is rooted in Him. And so we can offer value to others, even when they hurt us, because He is our hope. He is our love. He is our life. And so others cannot threaten that. They can't take that away. We can love because he first loved us. But if they don't receive it, if they don't accept it, all we can do is offer it. God has forgiven you. of a debt more profound than we can begin to imagine. You are free. You are clean. You have life. Abundant, everlasting life in Him, with Him, forever. We've got to share that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are gracious. We thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that you are just, that you are good, that you are holy, and that in your love you have decided to share that with us. We thank you that we can be free. You have done nothing wrong, God, but we have violated your trust. We have discarded relationship with you. We have chosen poison instead of life. Selfishness instead of love. Hurt and fear instead of freedom. But God, you have made a way back through the life and death and blood and resurrection of your Son. You have offered us hope. You have offered us forgiveness. And Father, as we receive that forgiveness, I pray that it will penetrate our hearts, that it will change us, that you will change us us, that we will not turn around and treat our brothers and sisters like this servant did, that we will see people with your eyes and your grace, that we will desire to share this forgiveness, this love that you have offered to us freely, openly, because it doesn't run out, it can't. There's always more. 
So Father, help us to live boldly and with confidence, sharing that love as freely and openly as we can, that all might experience it. Protect us, God. It is a risky thing to offer love. We can be hurt. But Father, you are our source. You are our value. And your love never fails. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.